Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Jacksonville, Anthony Lionheart-Smith versus Glover Teixeira. And Shaq, it's going down this Wednesday in Jacksonville, Florida. Two top 10 light heavyweights trying to get one step closer to title contention. Yeah, you know, Lionheart-Smith, uh, he's had a, quite the career resurgence. I mean, I, I know everyone remembers his days from Strike Force, where, you know, he would uh, pretty much get finished every fight. And, you know, he's come a long way, moved up a weight class, uh, fought for a title. You know, his last fight, he uh, knocked off Gustafson down there in Sweden, actually made Gustafson retire. And Glover Teixeira, man, that dude's a badass you know, still competing against these young guns at his age, and he's still taking them out. And, uh, I mean, Glover Teixeira's got one of the best jiu-jitsu games in the world, man. So, you know, uh, I'm super excited for this fight. And like, and Glover, man, this guy always comes back from the brink of death. You know, he almost nearly gets KO'd, and then he comes back and he ends up arm-triangling these guys. So um, I'm excited to see what happens. Man, it's so cool to see what Glover's been doing lately because obviously, you know, during his early UFC run, everyone knew him for being, you know, Chuck Liddell's former sparring partner, goes out there, knocks out Rashad, had that fight with Rampage where he dropped him multiple times. But lately, you've been seeing him use his jiu-jitsu, like you mentioned, tapping out all these young guys. And Anthony Lionheart-Smith, uh, the best way to describe him, in my opinion, is he's dangerous. And the length, man, he's just very hard to deal with, especially in a five-round duration. So I can't wait to see how that fight plays out. And Shaq, before we break down this whole card start to finish, we got to let him know that... Uh, they can get our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Last week, Max Bet season was a success on Henry Cejudo. And uh, you also cashed in on Justin Gaethje and the Cejudo under. Would have been an amazing night if they gave us that uh, Cerrone decision, but a profitable night nonetheless. Uh, they can get your bets for 50% off using the code SHACK50. Uh, man, uh, how happy were you with uh, Henry Cejudo's amazing performance? Yeah, I mean, it went, it went down... Uh you know somewhat similar to what i expected i mean you know cruz i will say man he is a he is a somewhat hard motherfucker to gauge cuz i mean he's all over the place with the with his head movement but eventually man he 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 made a mistake and when you got a goat the triple goat like henry Cejudo, man uh, you will pay for that mistake and like you know you said on the show last week when we when we get him hurt we ain't gonna do no you know garbrand stuff and look like a jabberwocky out there we're gonna finish him so you know uh, that's exactly what happened and uh, you know shout out to henry man because these last four fights i think i bet on them the last three except the uh mighty mouse one but man it's uh it's been quite the run he's been on i'm happy for him in retirement he, he's done he, i mean i wish he'd stay in there and fight and you know fight peter and peter and these guys but you know hey man go you can't blame a guy for wanting to go out on top i mean he's done everything he could so props to him yeah i mean look one two belts defended both belts olympic gold medal what else is there to do he wants to go out on top let him do that i mean i don't want to see a situation where he fights past his expiration date goes on a big losing streak like other legends have like why not go out on top? That's the perfect way to do it. And, dude, I was so happy that as soon as he knocked him down, he pounced on him so quick and landed 11 unanswered shots. Uh, it was a great finish. So definitely check us out, bestfightpicks.com. Use Shaq's promo code SHAQ50 for 50% off Shaq's bets. You can use my promo code DAN25 for 25% off mine. Or if you want my bets and Shaq's bets, you can get our VIP package using the promo code 2020 for 20% off. Well, Shaq, uh, let's get right down to business because first up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Chase Sherman. He's making his return back to the UFC. He's 14-6. and six. He's taking on Ike Villanueva, who's 16-9. and nine. 
Well, Shaq, it's funny because when I saw that there was plus money against Chase Sherman, I was like, oh, this is the first fight I'm going to look into. And I got to admit, I wasn't that impressed with Ike. Look, he's exciting. He's got that Mexican spirit about him. He goes out there. It's either kill or be killed. But the guy's actually a former middleweight, a former light heavyweight, so he's a bit on the smaller side. And with Chase Sherman, I mean, it's more of the same it's always been. No head movement whatsoever, but the guy's leg kicks are thunderous. He definitely has the size here and the UFC experience. So I'll lean with Sherman for that reason, but it's not going to surprise me one bit if the newcomer comes out here and uh, knocks him out either, Shaq. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't really looked into that fight uh, that much. Um, but I hear, I hear Villanueva is a former middleweight. I think he fought Trevin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I heard they had an exciting fight back in the day. Yeah, Sherman, I mean, he's a tough, tough guy. He, you know, he was just in there swimming with some sharks. Maybe this is usually, you know, these type of opponents is kind of what he does better against, you know, AKA or like a, a Coulter or a, uh, you know, a, a Grabowski, you know, a, you know, a borderline bum. So, you know, maybe, maybe he'll get this one. You know, it's funny about that. You mentioned Coulter. Actually, Ike Villanueva's last win on the regional scene was a first-round knockout over Rashad Coulter. But it was at 205 pounds. I mean, he made it look easy. So it's going to be interesting to see him going back up to heavyweight. And, uh, yeah, I just know one thing for sure. They're going to throw down in the center of the octagon and put on a show. Now, next up... In the featherweight division, I thought this was Bantamweight, but it's actually the featherweight division. You got Hunter Azure, he's 8-0, and Brian Boom Kelleher is 20-10. Currently, they got Hunter Azure, minus 190. The comeback on Brian Kelleher is plus 165. Well, Shaq, uh, Hunter Azure impressed a lot of people. I think the most impressive thing about him is how quickly he's improving. You compare his regional fight to his contender series fight to his UFC debut. Looks to be making big improvements every single time, training at fight ready. And uh, Brian Boom Kelleher is a seasoned, experienced veteran. He's the finished product of himself right now. It has Hunter Azure leveled up to the point where he can come out here and beat an established veteran like Brian Kelleher. Yeah, you know, this is a uh, this is a good test for Azure. You know, Azure had that fight with Katona. Some people uh, thought he lost. But, I mean, you know, he kind of got pressed up against the cage for periods of time. But anytime they were out, he's... He, uh, he did the damage. He showed his power. I think he's very well-rounded. He's got, you know, good wrestling, good, uh, seems like he's got good scrambling ability, got very good calf kicks training at fight ready. He's, and then that's the one thing you gotta, uh, you can't forget, man, he, even though he's a little green and he's still developing, you know, him training at that camp in that fire with Suhudo and, and these guys, he's getting that Neuroforce One training, you know, with Santi- Coach Santino and Coach Eddie Chan. These guys, eventually, man, he's going he's gonna to come into his own. So although I say he's probably not there yet, I think that, uh, you know, along the way he'll get there. Kelleher, like you said, a finished product. And Kelleher is one of the guys where he's super experienced. He's been around the block. He's got wins over Arce, maybe two wins over Arce. Uh, you know, his last fight against Osborne, he, he derailed that hype train. And he's got a, you know, he's got a, for, a forward pressure style when he's at his best, a, a super sneaky guillotine. If he gets that guillotine, you know, and I give him a lot of credit, man. This guy came in the UFC, took out Yuri Alcantara in his debut. Uh, you know, he's fought the likes of Cheeto Vera, you know, beat, uh, he got submitted, but hey, you know, he uh, fought uh, Stasiak in Poland. I mean, he's been around the block, beat a former world champion in Henan Burrell. Um, it seemed like he kind of hit that wall after the Lineker fight. I, you know, he thought he was going to beat Lineker and fight for the title. But uh, fought the phenom Montel Jackson. So, 
definitely he's not a competition level that Hunter Azor could only dream of. But, you know, like you said, uh, he's, he's probably not going to get any better. It's just a matter of Hunter Azor not making some of these, you know, stupid, not I don't want to say stupid mistakes, but just, you know, green mistakes. Uh, you know, occasionally he'll put himself in bad positions that, you know, if a guy like Kellerman, man, he, he is going to test you. But at 45, I, I actually think it helps Azor. I don't think... Brian Kelleher should be fighting at a weight class like that. He's uh, very he's on the smaller side for the Bantamweight division, in my opinion. So I'm going to go with Hunter Azor. I think he's going to look a lot better. I think that he's going to, you know, grind out a win. I think I do think it's going to be a, a tough back-and-forth fight just because Kelleher, you know, it seems like maybe he got his confidence back a little bit after that uh, upset win over Osborne. I mean, he had to make Osborne had to tap with his foot, but also, I mean, Osborne was talking crazy going into that fight. I mean, if you hear his uh, his little interview before the fight, I was like, oh boy, I, I knew I was in trouble. Then he said, uh, in five years, we're gonna say that Conor McGregor was on a Ode Osborne card. I was like, oh boy, this kid, <laughs> this kid's uh, gone off his rocker. But I'm gonna go with Hunter Azur by tough decision. Uh, I think it's gonna be a good back and forth fight. So. I do think Kelleher will have his moments, but I'll take Azur by tough decision. Yeah, look, uh, Hunter Azur has definitely made a lot of improvements. This guy is a former D1 wrestler, but he really prides himself on his kicking game. Those calf kicks are absolutely on point. And I think the biggest thing he brings to the table is the physicality and the mentality. I mean, he's so tough. I love this kid's get-up game, you know. Some people can criticize him for the fact that, look, if he's a D1 wrestler, why is he getting taken down? But he he's hard to hold down. I mean, this guy pops right back up. And uh, he's very consistent with his game plan, which I like. And with Brian Kelleher, you know, it's kind of like he has a bit of an unathletic TJ Dillashaw approach. You know, he likes to switch his stances on the feet. Uh, definitely very influenced by TJ, just not the same kind of athlete. Has a nasty guillotine, is a very seasoned and experienced guy. So you make some kind of mistake if, you know, if Hunter shoots for some unset up takedown, uh, he might get choked. But I think that if he, uh, you know, keeps all his limbs in the vehicle at all times he's going to come out here with this w so i'm gonna go with hunter azure as well now next up in the lightweight division we got a matchup between gabriel mogli benitez he's 21 and 7 and omar antonio morales ferrer is 9 and 0 Currently, they got Omar Morales, minus 175. The comeback on Gabriel Benitez is plus 155. Well, Shaq, uh, this is a great matchup because, look, obviously, Gabriel Benitez, he's known for being one of the hardest kickers in the featherweight division. You know, his coach, Javier Mendez, who also coaches Luke Rockhold, Kane Velasquez, Habib, all these guys, said that Mowgli Benitez is single-handedly the hardest kicker he's ever held pads for. And you take it a step further, he's taking on a former kickboxer in Omar Morales, a guy who we've actually been scouting since before his UFC uh, debut, before his Contender Series debut, because he was actually supposed to fight one of our buddies, Robert Hale, in LFA, but then he got the Contender Series call. So this fight's at 155 pounds. How you see it going down? Yeah, it's an interesting matchup because, you know, I've been high on Omar. You know, we uh, bet him in his, in his debut on South Korean turf, had to fly across the world against uh, Maestro, Maestro Kim down there, and he had a, a good performance. Not his best performance, but he still walked away with 130-26. I mean, he dominated that fight. He even, even showed off some uh, some grappling in that fight as well. So, you know, I think that Omar Morales has a – 
people are kind of saying that performance was lackluster, but man, you, to fly across, you know, a world with one corner man, I mean, he didn't have Henry or none of nobody from uh hard knocks 365 out there. It was just him and his brother. And, uh, I mean, he still dominated the fight. So I, I still think Omar Morales has a lot more to show, uh, going forward. And then when you talk about Mowgli Benitez, look, I, I like Mowgli Benitez. I think Mowgli Benitez is an entertaining fighter. It's just, when you really look at his at his at his UFC career, this guy fights very infrequently. You know, maybe once a year, most of the time. Uh, then you know, we talk about his last few fights, the Enrique Barzola fight. You see how easily he gets pressured against the fence. Then you know, his Jason Knight fight. I mean, Jason Knight was. I mean, I I said Mowgli was gonna win that fight. He was. I think he was a big underdog. Uh, I, I mean, Jason Knight. I called that before the Llamas fight. That this guy's a complete fraud, and uh, that's exactly what happened. So, and then you know, he turned into the uh, into his fight with the. Uh, with uh, Humberto Bandanai, look, Humberto Bandanai is one of, is one of, was one of the more softer guys that ever hit the featherweight division in years. And then we talk about uh, his fight with Sadiq Yusuf. Now let's get into this fight with Sadiq Yusuf, where people are saying, "Oh, he he you know he almost finished him, or he, he dropped him, he hurt him." Wait, well, I mean, look, yeah, he, he definitely dropped him. Sadiq is a, definitely a little chinny, um, but to say that you know. <laughs> He was like actually close to winning the fight, I think is a little bit of a stretch. I mean, Sadiq walked out there with no respect. Just put it this way. Sadiq was out there fighting like Ryan Spann was the other night. I mean, he was just coming out there like uh, no respect for this guy at all. So I think that Mowgli Benitez is a tough guy, but he kind of reminds me of like, uh, like, you know, in boxing, like a Eric Morales or a Josecito Lopez where he's tough, man, but his chin is such... Is such a liability in my opinion. He has to keep things super tight. He only throws a couple of techniques, straight left, left kick, and he has to keep his hands very close to his face because anytime this guy starts exchanging, his chin is a big liability. Even even Knight dropped him, but Knight was so you know out of it that uh you know he couldn't really capitalize. But I think that in this fight with Morales. I think it's a good fight for Omar, man, to showcase his skills. You know, he's gonna he's got a fellow striker. He's not gonna have to worry about stuffing any takedowns because that's probably the hole in Omar's game. But I think that the right high kick could you know be a very big weapon. We've seen what's happened when that right high kick lands to the side of Mowgli's head. I mean, he he you know he had to take a seat against Andre Feely back in the day, and uh, in his last fight against Sadiq, you know, like I said, it's he's he's got very predictable offense. It's just straight left. Or, or left kick, um, and I, I just see Omar being able to counter that if he wants to sit back, and I wouldn't be shocked if Omar even got a takedown or two, man, and Mowgli gets taken down a lot, his get-up game's really good, but he gets taken down a lot, so uh, I'm gonna go with Omar Morales here, I think he's gonna look a lot better in this fight where he doesn't, I don't, he probably didn't even have to get on a plane for this one, he probably just drove in his car, uh, and I think he's going to come out here and knock Mowgli Benitez out with a vicious kick, a spin, a, a, you know, a counter off the straight left. I just see Omar Morales moving to 2-0 and in the UFC. And I like Mowgli, but I just don't think that he can hang, his chin can hang with the power in the 55 division. I mean, even the low-end guys on at 155 hit hard. And, you know, I just don't see his chin being able to take it. So I'm going to go with Omar Morales. 
Look, I like Mowgli Benitez a lot. This is a guy that cashed a nice underdog bet for me against Sam Cecilia, a max bet against Humberto Bandanai. But the thing is, now he's fighting a guy where Omar Morales is super talented and Apparently, he has some kind of kickboxing background, too. I didn't even know about that. I just saw his techniques inside the octagon. I was like, damn, this guy can strike for real. But you saw some of his top control that last fight. What about his takedown defense on Contender Series? Very, very athletic guy. Huge for 155 pounds. So he's definitely going to be the bigger man. Hits with a lot more power. And I'd even take it as far as saying his technique is cleaner than Mowgli Benitez, too. And like you said, Mowgli's... Uh, offense is very predictable it's the straight left or the left kick which are very hard he's got fast hands look the kid's really good it's just the chin is such a liability and you're so right about that Yusuf fight I mean Sodiq literally from the the second the bell rang Sodiq walked him down without a care in the world and he even said in an interview afterwards he was like dude I was just trying to get a 50k bonus like I, I gave no fucks about what this guy brought to the table and you know he still ended up knocking him out anyways uh I think that Omar is going to be a little bit more composed, a little more disciplined in there. He's going to set up his shots, and eventually that right high kick, maybe the flying knee, maybe a straight right, it's going to land on the chin of the very tough Mowgli Benitez, and I think Omar Morales is going to knock him out. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Sajara Eubank. She's 4-4, four and four, and Sarah Morass is 6-5. and five. Currently, they got Sajara Eubanks, minus 370. The comeback on Sarah Morass is plus 310. Uh, Shaq, are you willing to lay minus 370 on a fighter with a 4-4 four and four pro record? <laughs> man, uh, I'm not, you know, too high on either of these girls, man. Uh, you know, how about Sarah Morass? I mean, that last name couldn't be any more fitting, man. But uh, <laughs> I think... Uh, Sarge kind of dropped the ball bigger last fight, but it was against Betch Correa. Betch Correa, you know, even though she was on her rough streak, is definitely a better fighter than Morass. Uh, uh, former title challenger. Former title challenger. Beat Jessica I, man. So, um, in Cleveland. In Cleveland. So, you know, uh, I guess I'll go with Eubanks, but, man, you can't count Morass out. She's got a sneaky little arm bar. And Eubanks, man, I feel like, you know, a lot of people forget that. She's a different fighter at 125 than she is at 135. You know, at 125, she can bully just half of those girls with size. And But now at 135, man, she's just, uh, you know, an average, an average at-best fighter, in my opinion. But as where Morass is... You know, her last fight, that was one of the biggest shit shows I've ever seen. Um, with the, what's the girl's name? She pulled that. Jojua. Yeah, Jojua. Oh, my God. Jojua, man. That was that was something else, man. So, uh, and, and Morass's takedown defense is just god-awful. Because, you know, she's an armbar fighter. So, as long as uh, Eubanks uses her black belt skills and stays out this armbar, I, I think she'll get the win. So, I'll take her by unanimous decision. Yeah, look, I think you said it well. Uh, even though Sarge is a 4-4 four and four fighter, we can talk about fading her down the line. The thing that she brings to the table that's probably going to win her this fight, well, firstly, she is a black belt herself, but I feel like she's going to be in top control most of the time. And as long as she doesn't get swept, doesn't get caught with some armbar, this should be smooth sailing because Sarah Morass has done the same thing her entire career. Flops to her back, and you know if you're Ashley Evan Smith, she can go out there and armbar you, but I have a feeling the black belt Sajara is going to be able to survive. So I'm going to go with Sajara Eubanks via unanimous decision here as well. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Michael Domenes Johnson. He's 19-15, and 15, and Tiago Moises is 12-4. and 4. 
Currently, they got Michael Johnson minus 110 and Tiago Moises minus 110. Well, Shaq, look, this is a really interesting fight. I feel like every time we break down a Michael Johnson fight, we say the same shit. You know, on his best day, he beat Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson, Edson Barboza. On his worst day, he loses to Reza Madadi and Miles Jury. Now, I know a lot of people are going to reference back to the Stevie Ray fight, and it definitely was sketchy. But I'm actually going to say something that a lot of people might find kind of controversial. So, look... Yeah, Stevie Ray is kind of towards the bottom end of the lightweight division, but I'd still say Stevie Ray is a top 50, like 5-0, top 80, maybe top 100 fighter in the UFC, whereas, guys, I actually don't think Tiago Moises is a UFC caliber fighter. No disrespect to him. He's he's very talented. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He even got a helicopter uh, armbar on the regional scene. But there's something missing in his game, and I can't quite figure out what it is. Something in the in-between. Because, look, he's a physical guy. He kicks very hard with the calf kicks. And, you know, if you're athletically outmatched, he can go out there and beat you just with his, you know, with with his natural gifts. But there's something missing. And I just feel like Michael Johnson is so much more seasoned and so much more proven and just bring something to the table in the in-betweens that I'm not exactly sure what it is. Maybe you can touch on it more. But yeah, obviously I'm worried that if Michael gets taken down, his get-up game isn't the best, especially when people go out there and lace his legs up. Uh, he can't get back up, but if he can keep this fight standing, man, he's so much better than Moises and he's just so much tougher than Moises as well. Um, like, the way Moises lost those two fights, and I know Benil Dariush and Demir Ismagulov are two unbelievable fighters, but it was like Moises didn't even offer any resistance whatsoever. He brought nothing to the table. The one time he won was against a guy who hasn't won a single UFC fight and doesn't have, you know, the athletic tools to compete in the big show. So Moises needs to prove something to me for me to pick him uh, in a fight. Uh, I got Michael Johnson here, man. I think he's going to light up Tiago Moises on Wednesday. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I was thinking the same thing about this guy, Moises. I think uh, what it is, man, I think his, from what I heard is his dad is like a legend in Brazil, whether it be uh, Valley Tudo or one of those things. But, uh, and, you know, he just can't, you know, he's having a hard time living up to, to his dad's uh his dad's resume, Michael Johnson, you know, like you said, it, it, Michael Michael Johnson is a deteriorating fighter. You know, he's been that way for for a while. Um, his Stevie Ray fight really wasn't that surprising to me, man. And none of these L's that he's been having are really that surprising to me, man. I mean, I, I've always been on the record to say, Michael Johnson, you never know what you're going to get with that guy. Like, he might, on tape, it might look like a freaking cakewalk, but... Uh, for whatever reason, you know, like you said, his ground game, it just seems like he continues to panic. But then at the same time, he can go out here and beat Ferguson, Dustin, Feely, and, uh, you know, all these uh, all these other good guys. So, yeah, Moises, I think, is a mental a mental case. I remember his fight with Rob Watley back in the day. I, he pulled, I don't want to say it was a stunt, but he just didn't fight. I mean, he just, <laughs> he just like, backed up and, and uh, you know, accepted what it was and it was kind of alarming but hey he made it to the UFC uh his like you said his one win was over Halibah who you know couldn't really get over the hump so I think yeah if Michael Johnson keeps this fight on the feet and even if he doesn't necessarily land punches because that's something he struggles with a little bit uh I think he you know he could just win this fight with volume but may of course if Moises gets on top of him the thing is Moises 
even if he gets on top of him, sometimes Moises will rush these submissions like you like you seen against Dariush and Wally where he, he'll, you know, try to just rush for a leg lock or, you know, jump a guillotine out of it's kinda out of fear, man. He's trying to hope the fight gets over before it uh you know, you know, he's hoping the fight's over, man. So uh I'm gonna go with Michael Johnson by decision as well. It's hard to trust Michael. But I feel like if Michael gets these opponents that he's been uh getting matched up with lately that he can, uh, you know, have some success. I think his last matchup was Kama Worthy and this one. I think that's if Michael stays along in that realm, he can, you know, get back on track a little bit. So I'm going to go with Michael Johnson. You know, interestingly enough, I actually thought the Kama Worthy fight was a little tougher because even though Kama's been knocked out a bunch at featherweight, he was actually going to bring, you know, some kind of a striking challenge. And, and he's a tough guy. He's a real fighter. Not to say Moises isn't. That's not what I'm implying. It's just I thought it was going to be a lot tougher of a matchup for him. So we'll see how this one plays out. But next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between the former heavyweight champion, Andre Arlovsky. He's 28 and 19. And the former PFL heavyweight champion, the newest uh, millionaire, Philippe Linge, is 14 and 3. Currently, they got Philippe Lynch minus 160. The comeback on Andre Arlovsky is plus 140. Shaq, it's interesting because you know uh, Arlovsky is, uh, what, 3-10 and 10 in his last 13. So even a blind squirrel can fade him every single fight and come out with a profit. And uh, look, Arlovsky has been the same thing you know, for the last however many fights. He's got that volume style. He's got decent cardio. It's really predictable. If you can't keep up with that volume, if you're a little slow like Ben Rothwell... If you're not quite into the fight game anymore like Stefan Struve, if you're a total fraud that wears diapers like Junior Albini, Arlovsky's going to go out there and put on a little point-fighting clinic against you. The thing here with Philippe Lynch that I like is that he can knock guys out. He hits like a truck, but also he's very composed in there. He's got a nice volume style himself. He can box too. And a lot of people criticize the level of competition he fought in the PFL. And I'm not going to be one of those guys. And I'll tell you why, Shaq. Look, I get it. Oh, he knocked out Josh Copeland. Uh, Josh Copeland was a UFC reject. Yes, this is true. But the thing is, like, you look at Josh Copeland's UFC fights. It's not like the guy was getting knocked out in the first round. He was still a durable guy that took his ass whooping. I mean, you remember the Ruslan Magomedov fight, right? So it's like... Philippe Linz did the same thing to him. He knocked him out in the fourth round. Yeah, he didn't get a first-round knockout, but he still took care of him. What about the Alex Nicholson fight? Like, I know Alex was a UFC reject, and he's getting his jaw broken in the UFC, but in PFL, I'm not exactly sure that they're drug testing over there because Alex is looking big in PFL, and uh, Philippe Linz went out there and knocked him out. I just feel like he's got momentum right now. He's got confidence, and at this point in 2020, it doesn't really take much to go out there and beat Andre Arlovsky. Even if you have a low-volume fight with him, you can still go out there and beat him. So I got Philippe Linz to have a successful UFC debut. And one more thing I want to add is uh, I'm very curious what his contract is because for a guy that just got a million bucks, uh, they got to give you some kind of offer you can't refuse for you to get back up again and try to fight. I know I was talking to Lewis Taylor about that, and he's like, dude, you know, the PFL middleweight champion, he's like, you know, I'm only going to fight if it's an offer I can't refuse, right? If it makes sense. If it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. So I'm very curious what Lynn's contract is. But regardless of that, I'm picking him to beat Andre Arlovsky by knockout or by decision. Yeah, I'm going to guess he's not making as much money as Andre Arlovsky. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to say. You know, Andre's bringing home that, that, them hefty paydays, man. Uh, 
you know, Andre hasn't retired because of those paydays, man. I mean, how can how can you retire when you make damn near four hundred grand a fight and you're three and ten in your last few fights, man? So uh, I think Andre, yeah, I mean, he pretty much hit it, man. He, he's got speed going for him. He is a, a faster heavyweight if he's fighting, you know, a big belly guy like Rothwell who's slow, or you know, uh, or even like a Sakai or you know, Walt Harris. They, you know. They struggled with him a little bit just because he he is a little bit faster than them. But uh, they still won. They still Arlovsky still kind of wilted in the late rounds. Um, his chin was still kind of failing him a little bit. So I think Felipe Lins has a, a very favorable matchup. Uh, I think these guys have actually trained together in the past at ATT. I think Lins, uh, like you said, he might have not necessarily fought the competition level, but look at the competition level. Uh, Arlovsky's beating, like you said, uh, uh, Junior Albini, who's, you know, I, I see him out there fighting uh, guys in Serbia with T-shirts on now these days. You know, uh, even... Um, Ben Rothwell, who's coming off his second, uh, his second uh, suspension for steroids, uh, you know, I feel or Stefan Struve, who's you know borderline in and out the game. So I feel like if Arlovski has an opponent like that, yeah, he generally might uh, might be live. I actually predicted that he would beat Rothwell, and in, uh, in that fight, but you know now he's got a hungry, motivated guy in my opinion, in Lynn. So I'm actually going to say Felipe Lenz comes out here and knocks Andre Arlovsky out. I don't think Arlovsky can continually play this game of, you know, win one, lose three. I think now you're going to finally start to see him lose every fight, especially after the way the last fight went. You know, the Rosenstrike fight, he said, oh, I, I didn't take Rosenstrike seriously. Bro, why would you not take uh, a seventy-six and six kick <laughs> a seventy-six and six kickboxer seriously? You know that's kind of alarming to me. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with Felipe Lenz by first round knockout. I wonder how seriously he's taking this fight, considering the world conditions right now. You know, uh, so gonna be very interesting to find out. And next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Carl Roberson. He's nine and two, and Marvin Vittori is fourteen and three. Currently, they got Marvin Vittori minus 175. The comeback on Carl Roberson is plus 155. Well, Shaq, uh, it's an interesting matchup. Southpaw versus Southpaw. Two emerging prospects. They want to take the step up to contender. Carl Roberson actually missed weight this morning. Uh, who you got? Yeah, it's an interesting fight, man, because I, I liked... Uh... I really liked Vittori, uh, his initial matchup with Stewart. I thought he was going to roll. I thought he was going to win that fight easily. You know, um, unfortunately, Stewart took a fight instead. But, uh, you know, Roberson had an impressive performance against uh, Roman Kabilov. And, you know, I think that Marvin Vittori, I think I said before his fight with Cesar Ferreira when he was coming off that, uh, <laughs> when he was coming off his steroid suspension, uh, that, I truly feel like Vittori has top 15 potential. Um, and I feel like these last two fights, his boxing has gotten gotten a lot better. Um, you know, I know that his cardio has been a little bit of an issue in the past. And it's it's always going to be an issue when you when you got a guy that big and muscular. I mean, Vittori is a big, big boy cutting down to 185. And Vittori, you know, a little bit of his issues, man. He's a very emotional guy, man. You know, he, uh, he talks in there. He... He, you know, he gets emotional in his face-offs. I mean, he's, he's very emotional. And sometimes I think when you're that young, uh, you know, 
as he was a, a year uh, a year a couple of years ago that uh, it was kind of plaguing him in these fights with you know Akhmedov and Israel but I, I truly think the kid if once he puts it all together has top 15 potential he's got he, is he a, he's a he's a black belt right Vittori yeah I'm actually I'm not pretty, sure I'm pretty sure he is um I'm, I'm on yeah I think he is um you know he's got very good jujitsu. He's like I said the boxing. Uh, according to to Wiki, it says brown belt, but he could have been promoted since then. So I, I, I'm pretty sure he, he's uh, got promoted to black recently. But um, but I think that uh, he's got all the tools in each uh, aspect. He's got a solid chin. I mean, Israel's been on the record to you know say he's got a blockhead, and uh, you know this guy you know walks through a lot of shots. I mean, some of the shots Wolverine Akhmedov was sending him with early, he was just taking them no problem and still moving forward. So I, I like Marvin Vittori's skill set, man. It's all about his mental and his emotions, uh, you know, creeping in. And Ruth Roberson, you know, the ground game was a big issue for him. Uh, you know, I think uh, before his fight with, with Wellington Thurman, after he lost to Glover Teixeira, after nearly knocking him out, he said that, uh, you know, not that he ran away from jujitsu, it's just that he just kind of didn't necessarily embrace it the same way he did his kickboxing, you know. So he said that uh, he, he's been working on it. And it showed in the Thurman fight because in the past, maybe he would have got choked out. Thurman had him full mounted, had his back. But at the same time, man, his last two wins were against, you know, a, a 22-year-old debutant in Thurman, who, which, I mean, uh, very easily the decision could have went to Thurman, in my opinion. But Roberson did have some good ground and pound. And then his last fight with Kapilov, who, you know, was making his debut as well. So I, I think that when I look at both these guys' skill sets, I think that Roberson's kicks are a lot better than his hands. I think that... The only worry I would have for Vittori is I've noticed that in that Cesar Ferrer fight, he was not checking them calf kicks. And one thing I say about Roberson is man, the dude's got some crucial, crucial calf kicks. So, you know, I, Marvin better have an answer for that. But everywhere else, man, I see Marvin having the edge in the clinch and the jujitsu and the boxing. Uh, you know, I think that if he presses Roberson, you know, makes this a make this a tie up fight where Roberson struggles in that clinch, giving up his back. But hey, man, Roberson did good. His last fight got a submission in Russia. It was uh, very impressive. But I just think Mar Marvin Vittori is the better, more polished fighter. And not to mention Roberson missed weight, so that's kind of already a uh, somewhat of a of a red flag. Maybe he didn't have the uh, the full preparation as he had. But he he was scheduled to fight Muradov, man. So he should have been. He should have been in uh should have been ready to go, but hey, who who knows what happens? Maybe he's growing out the weight class, but uh, I think Marvin Vittori has the higher ceiling, and uh, so I'll I'll pick him for the win. But Marvin better better have an answer for them low kicks. Yeah, look, both these guys are very talented prospects in the middleweight division. Uh, we've seen Marvin Vittori since he was just a kid. He was like what twenty two, twenty three when he first came into the UFC. And he's really come a long way. I think the thing that people criticized him for the most was his cardio. And it still can be an issue in those later rounds just because the guy comes out so damn hard. And I feel like if he comes out hard like he did against Andrew Sanchez with zero regard for whatever he brings to the table, that could give Roberson those opportunities to find those counters, you know, counter that straight left down the pipe. And like you said, those kicks, I, I love uh, his Dutch combos. It seems like anytime. 
uh, Roberson's opponents throw at him. He always answers back with a nice straight left, followed up by the left kick. So, you know, the guy's got some nice uh, combos. It's like reactionary to him. But uh, as far as the other areas of the game, you definitely got to give Roberson credit. He's been improving in all areas. It's just he finds himself in so many bad spots that it can be really sketchy to trust him at the betting window. Whereas I feel like a guy in Marvin Vittori who has had success taking down real guys. Like he took down Israel Adesanya in the third round and had some decent top control. And I feel like if he gets in similar spots here, he will have a big edge. Look, on the feet... It's going to be back and forth a little bit. You know, I'd say that Vitor, excuse me, that Roberson's probably the crisper and cleaner guy, but Marvin throws with some heat, man. Marvin, I mean, you know how that left body kick is from King's MMA, and when he starts committing on these punches, uh, he's a very physical guy. And that blockhead, like you mentioned, he can take punishment well too. So I'm going to go with Marvin Vittori to win a decision here. But honestly, a submission wouldn't surprise me either, but I'll go with decision. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Ricky Simone, he's 15-3, and, and Ray Borg is 13-4. and four. Currently, they got Ricky Simone minus 170. The comeback on Ray Borg is plus 150. Well, uh, Ray Borg looked amazing in his last flyweight fight. Now he's fighting up at Bantamweight again. He's won at Bantamweight before. Ricky Simon coming off two straight losses to Uriah Faber and to Robbie Font. You think... Uh, Ray Borg's going to extend the win streak to three, or is Ricky Simone going to finally get back on track? Man, this is a this is a good fight. It's an important fight for Ricky. I mean, for Ricky Simon, who who wants to lose three in a row, especially the way his last two fights. But man, you know, I see a lot of I, I see a lot of Simon love throughout the week. Um, I even see some shots on board. I would say that this is this is one of the more uh, back and forth fights in terms of you know the betting side of things uh seems like uh this is one of the the people's main event fights man so i think that i i, I could see why one would think this is a good matchup for ricky i mean he's bigger than borg uh he's stronger than borg he you know he has a decent size advantage here definitely with the strength but man borg uh and i also see why you know, people would take the shot on Borg. I mean, the last time he uh, fought at 135 against uh, Eric Silva's little brother, he, you know, he looked pretty good, uh, won the last two rounds and put a pace on him. And we know that Borg's one of the best scramblers in the UFC. So um, I'm trying to figure out how these guys are going to, what's going to happen when these guys tie up, you know, with Ricky's strength advantage. But Borg, man, he's a little bit more slicker, maybe a little bit better technique in the scrambles. Um, it's just a matter he's going to be dealing with a, a guy that that's a, a lot stronger than him. And Borg's not necessarily the guy that likes to use his, his striking, man. He's, he's strictly with the scrambles, with the slams, with the takedowns. And Ricky Simon's stand-up is a little bit of a liability, and I see a lot of people saying that, uh, you know, well, he's, his chin's not going to be, you know, a factor in this fight because, you know, Ray, who the hell has Ray Borg ever dropped? But which could be the case. I mean, Ray Borg hasn't dropped anything in his life. But, uh, you know, it's just hard to trust Ricky Simon because he's out here getting rocked by guys like Hani Yaya and he gets rocked 
every single fight. I mean, we're talking about the Montel fight, which, look, Montel Jackson, to have that name on your resume in a couple of years is going to be look really good for him. But let's not forget that Montel... Look, Montel said that when he got the call for that fight, he, had, he was eating a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I mean, you know, he was like, ah, oh, shit, I got to get on the treadmill now, you know. Um, and then his fight with Mirab Devalish, really, he got taken down a bunch, got his back taken a, a bunch. But Mirab is a serious grappler. Um, so I, I, I'm going to lean Simon. I think that he's got a lot of physical tools going for him in this fight. And I actually thought he did somewhat look the best uh, he has, to be honest, against Rob Font. It was fight of the night, a good back-and-forth fight. He got takedowns on a guy like Rob Font, who's got some underrated uh, some underrated grappling himself. Um, so I, I do think, and we've seen uh, Borg get taken down as well, whether it be against Casey Kinney or even uh, Eric Silva, Gabriel Silva. So uh, I'll take Simon. I, I, I think it is a good matchup. But from a betting perspective, man, it's just hard to trust a guy like him that makes these these big mistakes. I thought he was in the Rob Font, Rob Font fight, but continuously he would give up the rounds because he would get caught with a big shot. And he just seems like he, he's lacking that competence in the boxing. Now I know Ray Borg isn't, isn't a, isn't known for his striking, but Uriah Faber, I mean, look, going into the fight, we thought that man, Uriah Faber is an old man coming off, uh, you know, a three, four year layoff. And I mean, one shot on the, I mean, Right, Uriah Faber ever been known for his knockout power, Daniel? I mean, you know, one shot on the one shot on the chin, and this kid was seeing stars. And I mean, when he got up, he had no idea where he was, man. So it's kind of alarming. And, and like I said, he's been rocked in all the other fights as well. So it's kind of tricky playing a minus one seventy line on that. But I do think that his physicality should should stifle Borg's grappling attack. But at the same time, man. You know, I I kind of I kind of like flyweights moving up to bantamweight, man. I feel like their speed and their and their pace gives these you know thicker guys a little bit of trouble, man. I mean, when you fight in that the flyweight weight division, to be honest, is one of those divisions where your skill set has to be at the highest level, man, because there is no breaks in that division. So, you know, uh, I would not be shocked if Borg came in here and got the upset, but I, I think Simon's too big. So I'll take him by split decision. Yeah, look, you're definitely right about the size. Simon is going to be the bigger guy. But, you know, sometimes it's not about the size. Sometimes it's about the skill. And this thing with Ricky Simon is, look, his resume looks great. He did beat Montel, albeit Montel had six-day notice, was pro for less than a year at the time, was eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch when he got the call. He beat Marab, even though Marab absolutely mopped the floor with him to a point where Marab had zero regard for anything. And then this is going to be controversial to some people, but if you watch the fight, you'll know what I'm talking about. In that third round, Marab goes for a takedown. He actually knocks himself out by slamming his head on the mat. The guy goes limp. Ricky easily sweeps him into that guillotine, and he finishes the fight. Props to him for capitalizing, but had Marab not knocked himself out there in that third round, that was an easy win for, uh, for Marab. And when you talk about Ray Borg at 135 pounds, look, obviously he's known for being at 125, but the guy's got success at 35s too. He took down Casey Kenny seven times. He took down Gabriel Silva six times. So he's proven to me that he can go out there and take down Bantamweights. And I feel like Ricky Simone might be struggling a bit with the confidence since that Faber fight because that Rob Font fight, I mean, when Rob Font is going out there and uh, double-legging you in that first round, and Rob Font, 
look, some people thought that was a close fight, but I kind of felt like Rob Font put an MMA clinic on him and really punished him, man. He made him pay for those takedown attempts. He popped his head back with the jab. And I know Ray Borg ain't exactly known for letting his hands go, but the times he has... He's actually got some pretty fast hands. You go back and watch that fight with Formiga when he actually felt comfortable letting his hands go. And it was like, oh shit, Ray Borg, man, maybe you should let him go more often. And if he notices on the tape that Ricky Simon's extremely chinny, not, I'm not just referring to the Faber fight. How about that time that Anderson Dos Santos dropped this guy and finished him? If Ray Borg's been watching the tape, he might actually be like, hey, this is a spot where I can come out here, let my hands go and touch this guy's chin but obviously there's going to be a lot of scrambling and i think in the early going ricky simon's going to be able to use that size get on top of borg you know borg's a bit of a slow starter but as soon as it's borg's chance to scramble out and he gets to do his own shots uh that's what i think is going to be the difference and i actually do see ray borg coming out here and picking up the bigger man slamming him and just getting the better of the scrambles so it's going to be a close back and forth fight i think it's a dog or pass situation and i will go with the more experienced ray borg to come out here and beat ricky simon via unanimous decision now next up in the 55 pound division at lightweight we got a matchup a lightweight showdown we got drew dober he's 22 and 9 and alexander hernandez is 11 and 2 Currently, they got Drew Dober minus 125. The comeback on Alexander Hernandez is plus 105. So, Shaq, I guess my first talking point was I was really surprised about the line. I thought for sure when the matchup was announced that Alex was going to be the favorite considering the kid's hype. But you look at Drew Dober's recent form, and the guy's definitely turned things around. I mean, he came into the UFC 1-3. and three. Now he's 7-2 and two in his last nine fights. So I was actually really curious what exactly changed about Drew Dober because you're seeing this maturity. So I got him on half the battle. Talk to the guy. Make sure y'all check it out on our YouTube page. Uh, Drew Dober's got an amazing mindset. He details exactly what he changed to be where he's at now. And just the mindset is so on point. But I'll tell you this, because I know we faded Alex Hernandez against Cowboy Cerrone. He got nice dog money odds, plus 160. And then the next fight against Ronaldo, he didn't look as good. Um, but I, I don't think that Hernandez is a fraud or anything like that. I actually think he's pretty talented. Like... I know the Darius fight, if it plays out 10 times, he probably doesn't knock him out that quick every time. But the fact that he did and when he did was impressive. Look, what I think Hernandez brings to the table is on the feet, you know, he tries to do a little bit of that TJ Dillashaw for lightweight. You know, he likes switching his stance. He likes throwing that volume style. He's got decent wrestling as well. Um, kid, uh, you know, he's a very confident young man. Um, I actually think he's got a bright future in the UFC. It's just my issue is that, he had such a spectacular result in his UFC debut that when you knock out Benny Dariush in the first round in your debut, that means it's only going to be big fights from there on out. And he might have gotten into a couple situations that he wasn't quite ready for, especially those last two. And the interesting part about it is he still came out with a victory against Trinaldo, but now it's like it's only going to be even more big fights from here on out. And I still feel like he's got a lot of things to figure out, um, you know, just the ins and outs. He's got to be a bit more seasoned. And this is an interesting time to fight Drew Dober because I feel like if you caught Drew Dober a couple of years ago, I'd for sure take Alex. But the Dober we're seeing right now, just in all areas of the game, I know he made a real bonehead mistake against Benny, uh, you know, got out of a bad position. All he had to do was disengage and then keep piecing him up. And then he decides to go back to the grappling. It was like, oh, my God, Drew. But if he went back to the gym and started working, he started addressing those things. You know, this is a guy that's getting a championship look with Justin Gaethje every single day inside the gym. So I do feel like he's making the right improvements. And I feel like the current form 
of Drew Dober is enough to go out there and beat Alex Hernandez, just in the sense that I think he's a little more crisper on the feet. I think he's got a bit more composure, just too much seasoning at this point. But I do think that Alex Hernandez is a very talented kid. I know we gave him a lot of shit. I mean, he deserves it. The guy was going out there trying to show off his A-plus in English literature using all these big words and absolutely embarrassed himself. We cashed a nice dog bet. But I do think the kid's got a bright future. But I'm going to go with Drew Dober here. I think he's a little bit too seasoned for Hernandez. I think he's going to get a big win here. I think that, his, like you said, his performance with uh, Dariush was great. He, you know, kind of bum-rushed Dariush, didn't even let him settle into the fight. Dariush, uh, you know, hit him with that fl- that fake glove touch. And, you know, uh, Dariush kind of didn't... Uh, and Darius was kind of in a somewhat of a bad stretch in his career, man. You know, he he seems like he's gotten things figured out a little bit more. But, you know, they're not going to fight 10 times. They're only going to fight once. So prop, props to Alex. Um, but since then, I feel like every single performance has been underwhelming. And I think that, you know, the Darius knockout, like you said, is so spectacular. But, you know, I, 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 I saved my judgments until I saw him go 15 minutes. And then when I saw him go 15 minutes against Mercier, I knew that right then and there that this guy is probably not top 15. You know, I think he's, you know, he's young. We'll see how he goes. But the Mercier performance let me know he wasn't there yet. Then, you know, faded him against Cerrone. I faded him against Ronaldo. Now, I watched that fight yesterday, last night. And, you know, it definitely was a, a lot closer than what I initially thought. But, you know, it seems like he was trying to be a little bit more patient. It seemed like he was uh, trying to not run himself into the ground like he did the, those two middle fights. Um, but if that's if that was the improved version of him, you know, it's still like, is he really top 15? I mean, he kind of backpedaled the entire time. But he, play, he played somewhat of a smart game. But, you know, you're not fighting a 40-year-old now. You know, you're fighting a, a guy that's in his prime. And Drew Dober, you know, I think before his fight with Hawk Press, I said on the show that guys like Dober, eventually they get rewarded for their hard work. You know, uh, he to see where he started off losing to Sean Spencer and, you know, Ephraim and all, and all these guys to, to where where he is now is uh is definitely quite the quite the uh uh you know he's shown he's shown that improvement in the skills he's this is the best stretch of his career he's won 506 so that upset over Hackparas who was a super hype prospect at the time really didn't surprise me I, I kind of had a feeling that might possibly coming up man just cuz you know he works so hard his mindset doesn't ever get deterred i mean he's one of the most positive guys once you hear this guy talking if you watch some of his past fights man this kid like you know, I mean, I've heard Trevor Whitman specifically say, "Man, if you see if you see uh, Keiichi and this kid start sparring in the gym, bro, they say it gets fucking intense. Like these two will start trying to kill each other." And you know, uh, Keiichi said that Dober's the only one that's got balls to that, that's got uh, balls to bang with him like that in practice. So this kid and I and I said that before the hacker ass fight. When you watch this kid's fights, bro, this kid's got no fear. Like he'll he'll come in right away and start letting them, start letting them fly. Um, and it just necessarily, you know, wasn't, uh, the results necessarily weren't showing at first, but now they finally are. Uh, I think he's got a good, you know, bounce to him, good flow from that southpaw stance. He, you know, he has good counters for the, for the lead low kicks, like we saw against Hack Peraz. And, you know, he's got a good takedown as well. I mean, he, he's got a, a good, well-rounded skill set. Now this is going to be, uh, this fight with Hernandez is going to be a big test for him because, you know, Hernandez does have the ranking, but I think it's a, 
Like, if he was ever to get, you know, his initial fight was Carlos Diego Ferrer, which might have been, you know, a little bit too much of a uh, a step up. But this, I feel like, is the perfect step up. You know, you got the guy that is borderline not really in there, but he is in there. And this is a good fight for Dober, in my opinion. And to be honest, I know he's a slight favorite, but, man, I think there's a chance where you know, even him being at slight chalk, and and it and it is a dangerous game to play with with uh, numbers like that. But I also think there's a chance that he should be lined even a bigger favorite, man. Because, like like I said, with Hernandez, I feel like there's also been a little bit of a confidence thing. You know, I don't, although you know he likes using these big words, I feel like he's calmed down on that a little bit. He, you know, he's probably a little bit more humble, but. His fight with Ronaldo was, you know, uninspiring, to, in, in my opinion. And Dober's never had an uninspiring performance, win or loss, in his entire career. This kid will, uh, you know, take the, the necessary risk. He will, you know, he's not scared to get knocked out like like uh, Coach Trevor Whitman said. So I, I think this is a good fight for Dober to come in here and, and get closer to the top 15 ranking or get that number 15 spot. I think that he's got better boxing. I think he cuts off the cage very well. I think that he learned a lesson in that Darius fight with controlling, controlling his aggression and and uh, and you know pacing himself a little bit better. I mean, it was somewhat of a stunt. I mean, he had he had his opportunity to get out and he stayed in there, but I think that he was I think that he was so sure that he was about to knock him out and you know that was his first like real big you know high profile fight like you know like like you said if you can beat Darius then you you uh, you start fighting the upper echelon of the division and I, I think that Hernandez kind of skipped some steps man I think that you know he beat Darius and he got a he fought a French fraud named Mercier and then you know got exposed against Cowboy and then fought a 40 year old Trinado who who's between you and me always had trouble with letting letting it go so you know I think that Dober Dober is going to come out here I think that Hernandez is going to try to do somewhat of a similar thing as on the Trinado fight run around on the outside I think that he's still trying to figure out where he really is and I, you know sometimes those guys need more you know he, he kind of probably needed more Mercier fights you know I think Dober had a, a long time to develop his skills against guys like Tuck or Camacho you know or uh you know, Polo Reyes, he had many opportunities to 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 figure out the kinks as where Hernandez beat Darius and they just said, Hey, now you're now you're swimming with the sharks, kids. So uh, I think that he's still not ready for this. I think that he, you know, his boxing is just it's I I I at best. I mean, I just I just don't see this kid as a top fifteen guy. And I, to be honest, I, I don't see him as a top twenty guy either. I see him as a middle of the pack. Like I think that these guys like Morales can fight with him. I think these guys, you know, like uh, I mean, they were scheduled to fight him. Um, you, you know, some other guys that can fight with him. I'm just not a hundred percent sure that he belongs at that level. But hey, the kid believes in himself. I respect it. And, you know, he's he uses some big words, and you know that's nice and all. But I'm gonna take Drew Dober to come in here and knock Alexander Alexander Hernandez is out. I think he's riding that momentum. You know, his good buddy Justin Gaethje just won the interim title. You know, the the morale for the team's really high right now. So I'm gonna go with Drew Dober by vicious knockout. Co-main event of the evening in the heavyweight division. We got the heavyweight debut of Ovin St. Preux, OSP. He's 24 and 13, and Big Ben Rothwell is 37 and 12. Currently, they got Ovin St. Preux minus 140. The comeback 
on Big Ben Rothwell's plus 120. Shaq, it's an interesting fight because obviously we've never seen uh, Ovin St. Pru at heavyweight before. So got to see how he performs. Uh, ben Rothwell, I know he's coming off that win over Strew, but I got to say, man, those last few fights since his uh, USADA suspension, Ben Rothwell has not looked good at all, man. He's looking slow out there. He's always been looking slow, but... He's looking slower than ever. I mean, I know you remember back uh, when he fought Brandon Vera, when he started doing that dance in the third round, you know what I mean? Or even when he choked out Josh Barnett. But since that Junior Dos Santos fight, it just hasn't looked the same. And Ovin St. Peru, he, he's had some ups and downs too, but I think we can all agree Ovin's is the faster guy, the much more athletic guy, honestly, the more impressive guy. And I think that as long as Ben Rothwell doesn't catch him with one of those big bombs, which look, there's a big possibility he does. Uh, Ovin's has been knocked out before heavyweight they got a different kind of power ben hits like a truck he weighs 265 pounds he's a big boy but i think ovens is a much better fighter everywhere i think he can use that front kick i think he can light him up with the hands maybe even mix in a double leg or two watch out for that go-go choke i'm not gonna be surprised if he comes out here and von flues him but i'm gonna say uh i'm gonna say he outclasses ben rothwell i'm going with i'm going with oven st brew here man Yeah, it's an interesting fight, man. It's unfortunate Rothwell couldn't fight John Volante. I was about to unload on on Big Ben right there, man. I, I, it's unfortunate that card got canceled. Um, but you know, Pru, uh, you know, he's coming off the win against uh, McCall. Um, man, I, I plenty of things seem easy for Saint Pru, man. But don't be shocked when he, <laughs> he pulls a stun out there, man, leaving his chin sky high. Uh, you know, I think that Prue's definitely, like you said, more athletic, more athletic at range. Uh, but that extra weight with him kind of scares me because he's had cardio issues in the past, man. And now he's, you know, going to be, he's got on an extra, you know, 30, 30 pounds we're talking about. And even though Ben Rothwell, it, his footwork is shit and, and, you know, it's not pretty and, it's not pretty at all, and he gets hit a ton. One thing I'll say about him, man, is his pressure, his methodical pressure is on point. You know, uh, he closes that distance very well. And if Prue doesn't knock him out early, I do uh, I do have concerns about him and Big Ben going into the late rounds. Um, I think that St. Prue still leaves his chin wide open in the air, and sometimes he'll come out in this orthodox stance where his left hand is literally at his waist and and his defense is just it's not good man so i think that it could possibly potentially be a somewhat of a 50 55 i actually you know slightly lean on osp because he's a little bit more athletic and ben hasn't been looking the same since the steroid suspension but i i, I do think he looked a little bit better against drew i know there was some some uh some low blows involved and and whatnot but um yeah i mean i i lean osp but from a betting perspective i would not play him at that line with that extra weight with that suspect cardio and that suspect chin um so you know i'll, I'll take him for the win but for for me it's a dog or pass situation main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division we got anthony lionheart smith he's 33 and 14 and glover teixeira is 30 and 7 Currently, they got Anthony Smith, minus 175. The comeback on Glover Teixeira is plus 155. Shaq, it's an interesting fight for a lot of reasons, man. Because, look, firstly, Anthony Smith, you look at his resume at light heavyweight, it's obviously been on point. I mean, knocked out former champions, Rashad, 
Shogun, even beat former number one contenders like Volkan Uzdemir and Alexander Gustafsson, went the distance with John Jones. I mean, albeit John Jones lit him up in a way where people were trying to act like that was some, you know, close back and forth fight. No, no, it wasn't. I mean, the only moment Anthony had to win that fight was when he got hit with that illegal knee and he had the choice to get a DQ. That was the only chance he had to win that fight. But John Jones thoroughly outclassed him. He also thoroughly outclassed Glover back in the day. But ba back to this match, uh, it's like interesting to me because Lionheart's kind of the kind of guy that I like to bet at underdog money because he's a bit of a comeback fighter, you know? And in five rounds, he can be getting his ass whooped, but he comes back in that fourth round, chokes you out, can knock dudes out late in the fight. The thing is, man, I, I kind of don't like the in-betweens with uh, Anthony Smith. I never have. It's just that the way I describe him is he's a very dangerous fighter and he's a very long fighter. And the length and his ability to finish a fight has gotten him to this point right now, man. Like He can literally be taking an ass whooping and just land a big knee or land an elbow and change the whole course of a fight. Take your back one time and choke you out. With Glover, I feel like it's been a bit consistent, man. You know, he's been showing off his Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt these days, which is good because maybe the durability isn't what it once used to be, but the toughness is still there. And I actually think overall, Glover is a better fighter. The issue is that He's a bit older, he's a bit smaller, he's a bit chinnier. I know Anthony actually on paper has been finished more times than Glover, but most of those were at middleweight. And since he moved up to light heavyweight, you know, for a six foot five man, he, he's durable as fuck, man. And he's good at coming back. So I think, you know, when if you lay chalk on Anthony, you might be in for a sweat unless he gets that early knockout. I mean, the longer this fight goes, it's going to be a sweat. But he can find a way to win somehow along the way. And it being five rounds, I think he does. But I kind of have a little hesitation, man. Because like I said, I like Anthony Smith as an underdog. He, he's he's a good comeback kind of guy. And I just don't see him dominating fights start to finish. I either see him getting an early finish or a comeback finish. I don't see him winning a, a five-round decision at all. And Glover Teixeira, you can't sleep on this dude's ground game, man. Just because he's kind of older, I mean, he's been beating young guys in, in three of his last four fights. Four of his last five fights, he's beaten young guys. Um, so I'm not counting him out, but I'm going to slightly lean with Anthony Smith to catch him somewhere along the way, Shaq. Yeah, this is a, a great matchup, man. You know, I got the utmost respect for Glover to share. This guy's a badass. You know, he's fighting these guys that are, you know, uh, a lot younger than him, like Krilov and, and Jan Kudalava and, and Roberson. But just, you know, listen to those last three names I said, man. <laughs> Look, I, I've been a... I've been a Lionheart supporter for a while, man. I predicted that, that he would go into go down there and, and finish Volkan Ozdemir as an underdog and, uh, you know, go out there and finish uh, and finish Alexander Gustafsson in his hometown as a three to one underdog. And, you know, I feel like now him being the favorite in the in a, in a matchup like this is just a, is an indication of what's to come. You know, I, I get the whole, you know, he's, uh, he's got a bunch of losses, but uh, what's his record in the last, you know, four or five years, man, it's been fucking all green damn near besides John Jones and, uh, and Cesar Ferreira. And I feel like this fight, to be honest, man, is right up Anthony's wheelhouse because, you know, like you said, he is somewhat of a little bit of a comeback fighter, but that, that's uh, his last fight. That wasn't the case. I felt like he was he was in the fight from start to finish. And, the and you know, he's when he's talking about comeback, you know, he's got to come back from Volcanoes. I mean, you know how many first round stoppages that guy has? You know how fucking hard that guy hits? 
fucking hell yeah, he's going to have to come back. And, and at middleweight, he was kind of hindering himself a little bit. But this fight reminds me a lot of the Mauricio Shogun fight, man. You know, we're talking about a guy like Glover who kind of gets rocked in a lot of his fights. And, you know, he's not... And one thing about Anthony Lionheart-Smith is he, this guy's a master of war against guys like this, man. You know, you know, he, he remember his uh, fight with Hector Lombard uh, back in the day where... You know, he's like, Hector, hey, Hector, do you, you remember, you, you know me now, and, you know, things like that, and I, I think this is just a fight up as well, as, you know, Anthony Smith is a black belt himself, uh, so I think Glover's going to have a little bit more trouble there, but it doesn't surprise me that he, he's going out there and, and submitting Carl Roberson, who, you know, his ground game isn't there yet. What, ha Dan, what happens every time Jan Kudalaba goes into the second round? He taps quick, out. Quick. <laughs> And the Krylov fight was very back and forth. I thought it could have went either way. And another thing here that you can't mistake, this is the one few times where Glover Teixeira actually opened up the uh, the outright underdog. And, and one little trend I've been noticing in this game, when certain guys, I mean, you really look at his career, like he, he's the favorite pretty much the majority of the time, uh, Glover Teixeira. And, you know, when he's opened up the underdog, he's pretty much lost every time. So, you know, I think that uh, this is a this is a fight for Anthony Smith to take five rounds. Anthony, hey, if you want to come out here and let Glover take you down for, for a little bit, go by all means, go ahead. Just make no mistake about it. When he gets back up to that feet, he will use that 6-5 frame, and I think he knocks Glover Teixeira out cold with a vicious elbow, a knee, uh, you know, I think that Anthony Smith has proven himself to be on the upper echelon at 205 pounds. Look, it might not be pretty, but against a guy like Glover Teixeira, I think he's going to have a lot of time to to get this finish. Uh, I think that uh, Glover Teixeira gets rocked in every fight. And just because he, you know, he's coming out here and he's, uh, you know, almost got knocked out against Roberson, almost got knocked out against Kudalaba. Those guys are nowhere near the level of Anthony uh, Lionheart Smith. Those guys are nowhere near that level, so it doesn't really surprise. What about that absolute clinic Corey Anderson put on him, uh, you know, where he got rocked and, you know, his leg was buckling in that fight? Or even the Misha Serkinov fight, man, he didn't look too, too good in those fights either. And what about that clinic that Gustus Gus and the Cannoneer fight? This guy's been getting rocked so many times in his fights. I think Anthony Lionheart-Smith puts him out cold in, within the first two rounds. So I'm going to go with Anthony uh, Lionheart-Smith for, for a, a, a vicious finish. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Jacksonville? Um, my fight to watch is going to be um, Alexander Hernandez versus Drew Dober. I mean, if Dober can get the win, he should, he should be borderline top 15 or in that top 15 discussion. And, you know, if Hernandez gets the win, hey, then he, he proves why he, he should uh, keep that ranking and stay in that top 15 because it's looking real iffy to me right now. Yeah, that's definitely one of the fights to watch for me. My fight to watch is uh, Ricky Simon versus Ray Borg. I have a feeling that it's going to be a back-and-forth scramble fest, uh, the kind of fight that makes people really appreciate the grappling, the scrambles, the jiu-jitsu, the wrestling, everything. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of back-and-forth. Ricky Simon versus Ray Borg is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC on ESPN Plus 29? Uh, my fighter to watch is going to be... Uh... It's gonna be Omar Morales. You know, he's got a, a 
a, a fight here with Mowgli Benitez, who's a fan favorite, and, and not too many people know about Omar Morales. You know, he's only gotten two UFC-related fights, but I think this guy's got a lot more potential than what he's shown, and I think he's going to show it on, on Saturday night, so uh, Omar Morales. Oh, yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, he's definitely someone to watch for me. My fighter to watch is Drew Dober. He's a guy that's truly paid his dues since day one in the UFC, and now he's, uh you know, reaping uh, the fruits of his labor, man. He's getting to enjoy all his hard work and if he can come out here get the biggest win of his career at this point you know against a ranked opponent uh it's gonna be big fights and bright skies you could even be looking at a drew dober versus anthony pettis matchup next or something among those lines so bottom line this is a huge fight and for that reason drew dober is my fighter to watch well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Wednesday in Jacksonville, Florida. Make sure to get our bets at bestfightpicks.com. If you want to deal with Shaq, use that promo code SHAQ50, all lowercase, for 50% off. If you want to deal with me, use my promo code DAN25 for 25% off, all lowercase. Or if you want both of our plays, get that VIP package using the promo code 2020 for 20% off. Bestfightpicks.com. Follow Shaq at MMAGenius05 on Twitter, at ShaqBFP on Instagram. You can follow me at BestFightPicks on Twitter, BestFightPicksOfficial on Instagram. And now we actually have an Instagram page for the podcast. It's at HalfTheBattlePod on Instagram or HalfTheBattleHQ on Twitter. So make sure you all give us a follow all those places. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We will be back later this week to break down Saturday's card as well. Truly appreciate all your support. BestFightPicks.com. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.